0: up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.
1: Around 30% of plastics consumed are single-use. What this means is that while it is very convenient, these plastics are discarded after just one use. See, the amount of time, energy, and effort that goes into producing, exporting, and importing these products just doesn't add up especially if they're made to last forever. By the year 2050, plastic bottles will be more than the fishes in the ocean, recycler and environmentalist Victor Igono notes. In the first episode of this topic on alternatives that can save Africa from drowning in plastics, we talked about the plastic waste challenge across Africa, the causes and why the bans on plastics have failed. Raisian Labai, the communications and media liaison at Chemolex, Lois Kukunda, a scientist and product development expert at Uganda Industrial Research Institute, and Faith Obange, the CEO at Luanda Baritech, join me to discuss the alternatives to plastics that Africa can adopt. The packaging industry on the continent has for a long time relied on um, plastic and its byproduct What kind of packaging should we be looking at adopting um, as Africans Faith
2: yeah so uh, like I mentioned before uh, I am I am a, I call myself I think I'm a realist being african (laughs) has taught me to understand how you know the african way so i think the awareness as far as the plastic pollution crisis is still a bit behind because i have sometimes i'm in a vehicle with people and they all know i work in circular economy and somebody will throw a bottle out the window of a moving car they just something is missing there so i think awareness levels might still be a bit low so that means for us the challenge as entrepreneurs is to have that in mind when you're developing a solution develop with the worst case scenario in mind. Like our, our solutions at Luanda are all geared towards that. We imagine the most reckless, most uncaring consumer and then design a product that the worst case scenario, if you leave it in the environment, the worst that could happen is that it becomes an ISO. And then in a few months or so, it's completely gone with very little effects on the environment or on society. So we've gotten to a point where you have to think like the end consumer. You know, we might talk all day about how, oh, we need to educate these people and, you know, get them to collaborate and get companies to institute, you know, very strong take-back measures and get the governments to enforce laws. But if you do all this and the end consumer still does not feel compelled enough to cooperate they, that's just the weak link and your chain is only as strong as your weakest link so you have to design with that in mind always remember that the end consumer might not have the awareness levels that you want or might not even be interested in the plastic are people who just don't care they <laughs> they're not concerned about the planet crisis that we're living in now so as an entrepreneur you have to design with the end consumer in mind otherwise it just mm-hmm. it just won't work
1: Okay, um, Lois, do you think that alternatives to plastics you know, the solutions we're designing can really save Africa from drowning in plastics?
0: Alternatives, which have been designed as alternatives to traditional plastics, they can save Africa from drowning. Because we got quite a variety of alternatives. You had bioplastics, we've got paper, we've got glass, we've got other solutions which can come on board. With this all in mind, they can be able to save the planet from drowning from the choking
1: plastic. From the producer angle to the consumer angle, how affordable do you think these approaches are?
0: To me, it's an issue of the start of a technology. So if there is technology in place and we have a full government support, we have been encouraged by government because how much is paper? Paper is comparable to plastic bag. And that also makes the same. And also it's an issue of scale. We know that when we have a line of production and it's a big scale, then it's able to cut the cost of these available alternatives and you no know, matter who we can name it in any biodegradable plastic. And the beauty also actually about the biodegradable, like for my solution, biodegradable packaging bags, we already have this waste bit of it. You grow your plant. And then you're not going to use the banana fiber or the pineapple fiber waste, or the much as it's today that they're actually beginning to be recognized as a resource. But before they have been recognized as waste, they even in my own country they are still being thrown and burnt, yet they can be used as a resource. And because now these resources are still like freely and locally available, they should even be ma- be. Uh, we expect their. Uh, product to even be cheaper. I would
3: like to respond to that, Anthony, if you don't
0: mind. Okay. Yeah, because we had a first-hand
3: experience and uh, we, we approached one of the biggest diaper manufacturing, sanitary towels, let's say personal hygiene companies in Kenya. And we just wanted to know how things work. And we were shocked to realize even a shilling makes a difference. So if your product is a shilling more expensive than what is in the market, It's hard to compete, it's hard to make profits So I thought in the beginning, and like Lois says, we're going to need a lot of government support either in terms of subsidies or in terms of government itself being our biggest client. Why? Because within the first two, three years, you cannot even expect to make a profit. Why? Because they're competing in China with companies that would negotiate on 10 cents. And that's where the company makes its money. So you see 10 cents from a shilling is a huge difference because of volumes. So to compete on cost is going to be hard. So we're going to need someone to, you know, push us up or help us up, stay there in the meantime, as we try to get our footing, try to work out on, you know, numbers to ensure that the cost comes down.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with Resian. Uh, of course, uh, the fact that a lot of these solutions are new, there's, of course, R&D costs that have been involved. So initially, they might compare, the price to what's already in the market, but it will take a bit of time before we can undercut them. In price-wise. It will come when, you know, we start scaling, because now that you can afford to, for example, recycle your reagent or make your, some of your reagents uh, locally in your own lab. But we will need the government and especially from even, uh, you know, like international bodies, like the UN, like UNEP, this is a good opportunity forward and, uh, you know, stand behind this kind of solutions. Because just recently they passed this, um, I think, the F- fifth United Nations Environment Assembly Resolution, Draft resolution of 2022 that has resolved to in the next few years enact an internationally legally binding agreement with you know a legal framework to end plastic pollution. So I think this might be a good avenue to start you know showing support and backing solutions that are geared towards the same uh, goal that they have.
1: Okay, so my thoughts now would be um, back to Lois. Um, are we not going to be putting a lot of pressure? On- on growing plants um since we're also thinking of of having plant-based um um, alternatives
0: i don't think we're putting a lot of pressure on natural resources uh because first of all like for my own case i got a variety of agricultural waste materials that already show sustainability of the business of this um of this uh, of my solution Because if you can't use banana, can't use the crop straw, can't use, uh, there is still like a whole chain of agricultural waste. And even then, like for any line of production which you may have, uh, what is still waste? Because even in my waste, I may still have waste. What may not again turn up for paper or for the fiber bag? can be converted uh, for any other use, which can be converted for fuel, that is energy, and that will actually, what will make uh, the circular economy, that at the end of it all, you grow your crops for food, they give you Food, they give you other products which you can use and then you recycle like that. And I feel that even when they are few, actually, what we need to just go into is to just extend the land which we have for more production. And we also purpose to grow the kind of fibrous plants that we need to give us the products that we shall be.
2: Yeah, so uh, a lot of our dishes, like, like mine, for example, are derived from agricultural waste. And it's not just the, it's the kind of agricultural waste that even animals don't eat. So, for example, a banana peel or an, an apple core is something you can feed to a cow. But coconut husks? <laughs> Cows don't eat coconut husks. So, essentially, it's just something that's going to sit in the environment and pile up and be an eyesore. And essentially, you're doing uh, a, a service to the community removing it and converting it into something more useful. So, at Luanda, for example, we are at Luanda Biotech, we are determined and very careful to make sure that our feedback has an impact on food security. We also are very aware. We live on a continent where food insecurity is still a very pertinent issue. So you cannot take food from the mouth of children to make packaging. We are committed to that. You must take feedstock from something that essentially nobody else will miss, not humans and not animals. That's what we do at London.
1: Thank you. Okay, Recyan?
3: Our solution also makes use of food waste and emphasis is on the waste part. There's a lot of food wastage, either from the households or even at the farm level. And uh, one of the reasons as to why we're still not food secure is not because we don't have land. Africa has a third of the world's arable land and a third of the world's freshwater reservoirs. So uh, we are just not maximized. And again, it goes back to goodwill. If we had leadership that is committed towards ensuring that, you know, the way the ecosystem is perfect, this does this, this does this. So it could be circular and we could avoid... You know, instances or those gaps where uh, some one area of the ecosystem is suffering because the other part is flourishing. If the ecosystem is well balanced and we have all people playing their role very well, then I don't think it would become a problem. For me, the focus is on the waste and the focus is on maximizing what we already have.
1: How do we ensure that we create this ecosystem? How do we ensure that we maintain this ecosystem?
3: Working with like-minded parties. Say, for example, if our solution requires food waste, or that's what we use, aside from the water hyacinth. Using the water hyacinth, it means we have to work with the fishing community. This fishing community employs people. These people use this money that they are making from fishing to feed their families. But also, because we are removing the invasive plants, it means they're able to, you know, uh, use their um, their small boats to access the lake better than they were. Because one thing the water hyacinth does, it forms... Big fibres underneath, so it makes access very difficult. That means people who do not have big boats that can, uh, you know, handle that are not able to go out into the lake to fish. So if we're able to remove the water hyacinth, it improves for them access to to the to the lake where they fish more. They fish more, they're able to feed more. So we are solving one problem while giving opportunities to the other, but at the same time, we are getting the raw materials that we need to provide other solutions. So it is the solutions that keep giving. For example, if we are out of the water hyacinth and we have to look to food waste, uh, in places like central Kenya, there's a lot of wastage of food, especially due to sometimes weather, sometimes poor markets, so people are left with their products on the farm and there's a lot of wastage, especially of things like cabbages and whatnot. So again, you create a circle of these farmers, say from different parts of the country, especially parts that are closest to your center of operation because of transport costs. So whatever is left over, whatever is destroyed and left at the farm and nobody is making use of, it this can now furnish you as waste material. And you know, they'll not be giving it to you for free. They will be selling it to you, say, at at a price, a price that is not probably the same as selling fresh food, but at a price Mm -hmm. nonetheless. So also for them, it creates another avenue to earn an income. You know, develop themselves further in terms of agriculture, where they could grow uh, more crops on a bigger space of land, or they could could invest in you know getting more water or access to water in their farms and stuff like that. So by providing these opportunities, it keeps on creating other opportunities by itself. That's the ecosystem I'm talking about. Okay. So everyone is making use of something somebody else is not using. As so far as the ecosystem goes.
2: I think there is need for all the players in the circular economy you know, environment to just come together. Like I was saying, I keep using the German example. Here, I'm actually somewhere, somewhere called Wuppertal in Germany. There's something called the circular economy accelerator. It is essentially the circular economy, what Silicon Valley is to tech. You see how these people have organized. <laughs> so this program sources the most promising startups from all over the world. We are 36 now in this particular, this is a third cohort. They bring them here, put them together, put them in in contact with uh, you know potential partners, potential funding, potential opportunities for them to grow and scale their products, not just locally, but even globally. So this is something we need for, for Africa. I, I really don't, not everybody has the opportunities that we have. And I realize we are tremendously privileged to be able to even be here. But I don't really think it should be necessary for somebody with a solution a local solution to a local problem in Africa. It should not be necessary for them to get on a plane and fly eight hours to, a, to all the way to Germany to, to to you know to pitch to people who. To, to, that's where they can get help. This job should be available at home, and honestly, it, it's possible to get it available. home. for example, Kenya is actually the host of the United Nations Environmental Program headquarters in the world. The UNEP is actually stationed in Kenya. So if, if if the ecosystem was there, we already have the UNEP. We just need a lot, a bit of goodwill here and there from the government, from private sector, from, you know, even banks, financials. get together and let's get this done. It's not that hard. I've seen it here. It's something, it's a model that is very easily replicatable
1: at home. Okay. So, Faith, if you would um, describe uh, the challenges that you face and um, uh, probably... What do you think would help scale um, the solution that you build and uh, describe these things to us?
2: We are at MVP stage. We are now looking to get into the market. So, of course, at this stage of the startup, our major Challenge is fundraising and getting the right partnerships to get the products out of the market, out of the lab, and into the market. It, it, it's a, it sounds easier than it really is, and I'm sure Resian can can agree because they develop similar products. It's one thing to develop a product; another thing completely to put into the market because you need to get through a lot of regulatory hurdles and financial hurdles to get there. So, our current challenge is fundraising because we need to. Put first of all, do our pilots in the the market and then grow and scale from there. And then, of course, before that, we need to get all the regulatory paperwork in order to get there. So that's where we're at now. But of course, we're looking for partners, especially in industry. And here is one of the challenges. So products like mine, and uh, I think even Rissian's, so one of our biggest uh, potential customer would be like the people who've been manufacturing plastic products. Because let's be honest, the change from plastic to alternatives, it's not a debatable issue. It's, the change is coming, number one, because oil reserves are running low <laughs> globally. So at some point, there will be no more oil to produce plastic. Actually, Saudi Arabia right now is diversifying its interests because they're trying to shift from an oil-based economy to like a tech-based economy because they realize in in several decades they will not be able to produce oil. And Saudi Saudi Arabia is the biggest oil producer in the world. When that happens, all these plastics uh, companies need to have a product that they can sell or they will go out of business. So they need to start diversifying now. So uh, we also hope to be in partnership with them. But I think the challenge, of course, is still that, you know, there's a bit of... Resistance from the, it. We seem like we might be going up against, you know, plastics and oil. But the reality is, at some point, you just have to accept change. Change is no longer coming. Change is here. And the earlier that they accept this reality, and get in touch with organizations like ours for partnership, the better for all parties concerned.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And if something would be done to um, encourage and help scale the work that um, that you're doing, the solution that you're providing, what would these things be?
2: Like I mentioned, uh, funding. Funding is a, is, a, is is something that we need. We are currently looking to raise $1 million, which is why we are here. Part of the reason why we're here at Circular Valley to find partners that can help us do that. And then we need, uh, of course, partners for marketing and commercialization. So not only in Kenya, but globally. So uh, those are our two main challenges right now. Funding and commercial
1: partners opportunities. Okay, Raisyan. Challenges and um, opportunities for scaling?
3: Our situation will be pretty much close to fate. Uh, But for us, our biggest focus or interest would be to get, you know, able partnerships, people who are already established in the industry to buy into our idea, because we need like a big brother to introduce us. Because if we go through the um, usual way of just getting in as a retailer, then uh, the obstacles are so much more. So it is easier for someone who believes in what it is that we're doing. Say one of the biggest manufacturers of uh, these products that we are targeting to provide alternatives for could support us. And that's one thing we are currently working on and still working on. Uh, In terms of opportunities, uh, I I would like to go a little bit back in terms of the question of um, whether we have a plastic problem or a plastic waste problem. While plastic is not an African problem, and, and to solve this problem, we need honesty, or honesty from all partners or all people involved. There was a time when America wanted to dump its plastic waste in Kenya, and there was a lot of lobbying by an organization called Greenpeace Africa. I don't even know if it succeeded. Faith, did they succeed?
2: They succeeded. That, that was during Trump's time. And when yeah. Biden came, I think that deal was off the table.
3: Thank God. So unfortunately, these rich countries, what they do, thanks to capitalism and consumerism, which is like the firstborn child of capitalism, it's always about producing more and more and people buying more and more, but they don't have uh, the capacity to handle it. So the poor countries become the dumping ground, either in Asia or in Africa. So we also need an honest approach into this issue, that some of part of this challenge is also external, because I look at a At a situation where, when we were growing up, waste was not this much of a problem. Like in rural areas, you don't go to people's homesteads and it's dirty and, you know, suffocated in plastic. It's an urban problem. So I think it's more of a planning issue, more of a management and governance issues Because this is not where we come from. This is not how we have been living our lives as as Africans. So for me, we also need to look at it from that perspective.
1: Wow. Um, Lois, what would you describe as um, the biggest challenges and biggest opportunities or areas of um, growth and scale? Our
0: biggest challenge, i would noted it down, it, it is actually, there is something they call resource use efficiency and cleaner production like my colleagues have already mentioned, is, of course, as the population grows, as urbanization increases, as consumer convenience spending and packaging comes in, how are we prepared? For example, if I can, like, go back a little, like, again, for Uganda's case, like in Kampala, again, waste management issues come. We do not have properly like different types of bins for different types of waste management. So, and uh, according to waste management system, if you're better to manage the waste, then you need to properly segregate it. Nowhere to put plastic, nowhere to put glass, nowhere to put uh, biodegradables, nowhere to put, okay, anyway, different types of uh, waste you segregate differently. So when that is not done, actually, that's why you realize that we have actually a lot of waste. Like for us in Uganda, we have a lot of waste, even what shouldn't be waste. You find uh, for example, in Chitezi, that is one of the landing, uh, waste landing sites, which is outside Kampala, but that's where you find waste. But you'll be shocked, you'll even find pepper, pepper, which could be recycled. So we need in place resource use efficiency. People know that pepper can be recycled. Uh, then we also need cleaner production which is also among the um, sustainable development goals is what we call uh, sustainable use and then uh, consumption. That means that uh, even from our household level, you're supposed to know, first of all even from buying, you're supposed to only, don't even like, for example, where they are selling, even if it's a paper bag, even if it's a, a plastic bag, please like, people are supposed to know we are not supposed to consume, like don't take two paper bags where I would have taken one, because then the other one becomes waste. So we need to have resource use efficiency and the cleaner production come into place, and that one can be done by our uh, awareness. Because as we grow, we also realize that waste is much, but I think also we don't mind so much about how we will deposit. That's why you see people travel, you see just bottles falling. Like if you come to Kampala, you see the land. It's like a deck of plastic bag in Kampala when you come to the urban area. No matter where you stop from, but you just see like there's a deck, meaning plastic problem. If we are to handle it properly, That wouldn't have been done. That wouldn't have been the case. Thank you.
1: Okay, thank you, Lois. Thanks for listening. And don't
3: forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.